Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala Rasulihi al-Kareem. Amma ba'ad, we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So here we are going through Imam al-Ghazali's book, Kimya Sa'ada, which is his alchemy of happiness. And to put it in perspective, <coughs> what we're saying basically is that uh, his collection, Ikhya Ulum al-Din, is written essentially for scholars. And this is written more for lay people. And the difference is that when a lay person is reading a scholarly text, they're not necessarily going to be aware of the internal assumptions in the text. Mm -hmm. And there are also internal assumptions in this text as well, which is why we're going through it together, inshallah. Uh, but having said that, let's uh, jump right into it. The other big point related to the fact that one is for scholars and the other one's for lay people is that this book is originally in Farsi, whereas the official language for Islamic thought for most of our history has been Arabic. Much of Islamic thought is also in Farsi, in Urdu, in Ottoman Turkish and stuff, but in general the default language has been Arabic. Okay, so let's jump right into the foreword. And I'll interrupt you at semi-random points. Abundant gratitude and thanks, and the number of the stars in the sky, the droplets of the rain, the leaves of the trees, the grains of sand in the desert, and the particles of the earth in the sky, to that God whose attribute is oneness, and whose special nature is majesty and grandeur, greatness and superiority, glory and glory and goodness. Okay, so right from the start, now it's normal practice that when we're beginning any sort of Islamic work, we begin with praise of Allah, and then what you'll see shortly is blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him, and so here we're beginning with praise of Allah. And notice, <coughs> we are going from the many to the one. So it's abundant gratitude, abundant thanks, and the number of the stars, the droplet of the rains, the leaves of the trees, the grains of the sand, the particle of the earth, and then we go to one, to God, and the first thing that's mentioned is his attribute is oneness. And so that's one of the fundamental attributes of Allah Ta'ala, uh, is, is simply his oneness, which for you and I is, is common sense. But a point to think about this is that one of the ways in which creation, by definition, praises Allah Ta'ala is in our multitude. So there's a type of praise that we do, whether we're expressing it individually or such. Um, but the fact of so many of us is by definition also a praise of Allah Ta'ala. And then, <clears throat> look at the attributes we have. Or look at also uh, the, the direction that we're taking. We go from the stars in the sky, to the rain, to the leaves on the trees, to the grains of sand, to the particles of the earth. So we're going from the distant cosmos, to the sky, to the rain, to the leaves of the tree, and then to the ground. And so, another way through which we are praising Allah Ta'ala is just through the vast dimensions as well. Mm -hmm. Right? And then, look at the attributes we have of Allah Ta'ala. It's oneness and whose special nature is majesty and grandeur, greatness and superiority, and glory and goodness. And this is also, in a way, uh, a parallel. We're starting from majesty and grandeur and greatness and superiority and glory 
and then goodness, but we're starting where? From the wide. It's just that we are not yet going to the, the, the intimate, although we will see that happen in the next sentence. Okay, go for it. No created being is cognizant of the perfection of his majesty. Oh, wait, wait. Um, yes, correct. Uh, read that again and then read, the, read it to the end of the paragraph, inshallah. No created being is cognizant of the perfection of his majesty. No one other than he may penetrate the true reality of his knowledge. Indeed, the declaration of our inability to do so is the limit of knowledge of the truly righteous. The confession of their shortcomings in praising and appreciating him is the furthest limit of the angels and the prophet's appreciation of him. Okay, good. So, no created being is cognizant of the perfection of his majesty, meaning nobody can truly comprehend Allah Ta'ala. That his majesty is so great, it is beyond what a brain or a heart can truly comprehend. The key word being truly. It exceeds what we are capable of. <clears throat> and an example of that is Musa salam asking Allah Ta'ala, okay, can I see you? And he's told, and I'm paraphrasing, you're not going to be able to handle it. But then he's given this ray of divine light. And not even to look at the light, look at the mountain. And then this ray of divine light hits the mountain, knocks the mountain down, but also it makes Musa salam pass out. Because he physically did not have the capability of handling it. And he's a prophet. So no one other than he may penetrate the true reality of his knowledge. So only, only Allah Ta'ala knows Allah Ta'ala. Truly. Good. Indeed, the declaration of our inability to do so is the limit of the knowledge of the truly righteous, which would be the Siddiqeen. And so what are we saying here? That, all right, that the way to get to know Allah Ta'ala uh, part of it is through knowledge, but it's knowledge that is illustrated or reinforced by action. So one of the issues we have right now in our community is an abundance of thirst and an abundance of offerings of knowledge. But we have very little focus on knowledge and action. People will teach about knowledge and action in the same way we're having this conversation right now. But your actions will reveal what your knowledge truly is. And if your actions are not reflecting what you think your knowledge is, that which you're regarding as knowledge is more information or clutter or baggage. Like the donkey carrying books. You know, that I'm possessing all this knowledge but I'm still doing whatever I want, the way I want. Okay, and the confession of their shortcomings in praising and appreciating him is the furthest limit of the angels, the prophets, appreciation of him. So that, uh, in terms of that complex sentence, I'm not even sure what the translator here is saying. We can speculate. The confection of their shortcomings, so this would be of the Siddiqin, in praising and appreciate him, is the furthest limit of the angels. So it's perhaps saying that looking at how far an angel can get, or how a prophet, peace be upon him, can get in appreciating Allah Ta'ala, is illustrating how short a righteous person can get. Good. Let's go to the next paragraph. I think I think another thing is um, is saying that because we're acknowledging these shortcomings, it is showing us how how appreciative we can be. I, that's, yeah, yeah, inshallah, that uh, that uh, that makes sense. That fits in definitely with the whole rest of the paragraph. Yeah. Okay. Very good, inshallah. 
Next paragraph. The farthest limit achieved by human reason through the principles of the illumination of his sublimity is bewilderment. Okay, this is pretty cool. So, what should, where should your reason take you? And so, principles of illumination, this would be the, the Ishraqi school of philosophy, uh, which is essentially this idea of just the world being un, 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 or this world being unveiled to you. Where should it take you? You should be astonished. That's where, what reason should lead you to in terms of, of your relationship with Allah Ta'ala. So, so an example in my own brain is, is that uh, one time I was taking a class in cosmology and the teacher was using this full wall-sized screen to show photos of galaxies and such. And I'm looking at this giant wall-sized photo of, of a spiraling galaxy and at the same time I'm trying to comprehend, trying to comprehend how big this thing is. Yeah. And at the same time, how amazingly beautiful it is. And literally, I'm sitting there in class on the verge of passing out. Uh, because I was, tr I was maxing out what my brain could actually do. And, and so, that's what we're saying. That as you get closer to Allah Ta'ala, how? Especially through appreciation of His creation. Uh, it should make you astonished. And then moving beyond the realm of creation, you know, the word here is a good is a good word. It's bewilderment. Okay, continue. The ultimate end of the journey of the wayfarers and disciples in their search for proximity to his awesome beauty is astonishment. So, same point, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you're seeking Allah Ta'ala, if you're seeking to get closer to Allah Ta'ala, we have a couple people here. We have the wafers, the travelers who are sort of going on their own, and then the disciples, people who are being trained. If you're seeking to get close to Allah's beauty, your destination is to reach the point of astonishment. Okay, continue. Abandoning hope in the principle of striving for the knowledge of Him is the denial of His attributes, while the claim to a perfect knowledge of Him is the imagining of a similitude and a likening. Okay, try to explain that. Um, Try to explain the first part and then the second part. Okay, so the first part where he says, abandoning hope in the principle of striving for the knowledge of him is the denial of his attributes. So okay. it's saying that because there's like so much knowledge, you just give up on learning it. Mm -hmm. You're denying him his right, mm -hmm. his Allah's, his majesty, his goodness, everything described in that first mm -hmm. paragraph. Okay, and then what about the second part? And the second part? Um, and thinking that you have a perfect knowledge of him, you're likening yourself to him because mm -hmm. no one can have a perfect knowledge of mm -hmm. Allah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and so now to take your points even further, so, so one is that you're denying him his right, and then what else is happening? If you're abandoning hope in this striving, then what attribute are you denying if you're giving up hope? Do not despair in the mercy of Allah. Yeah, so you're denying his mercy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so we do not have the option of giving up. So we're saying the destination is astonishment. Okay. But if you give up the journey, you're actually denying his attributes. And so your choice of words is also good. It's, it's, it's literally his right that you acknowledge his attributes. And the big one here would be his rahmah. 
And then the, another extreme is if you claim to have perfect knowledge, then it's uh, the closest you can do is that you're doing almost a type of shirk. It's not shirk itself, but you're imagining something that is like Allah, but you're not imagining Allah. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, explain it back to me. So, Allah, He physically cannot be comprehended by the human brain. Right. So, if you think that you can comprehend Him, then you, you're not, obviously. Then you're comprehending an imaginary God. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So, think about what we're saying. This, These are all forms of submission. And so, to put these in perspective regarding the attributes of Allah, this we might have done in the Quran class, that we are, uh, how do we get to know Allah Ta'ala? By His attributes. Okay. But the true meaning of the attributes are whatever Allah Ta'ala says is the true meaning. So, these are words that we can comprehend to sort of get a sense of who is Allah Ta'ala to me. Okay. But the true meaning of, of Ar-Rahman is whatever Allah Ta'ala says. So, there's the meaning I'm deriving from it, but then the true meaning is what Allah says. But we're also saying Allah Ta'ala is not bound by being Ar-Rahman. That's not a limit on him. And he's not bound by the fact that he's not bound. And so part of this process of getting closer to Allah is we'll see is we're taking limits that we actually don't realize we put upon Allah and we're releasing those limits. And those are limits that we put on him by virtue of our own selves. This is a common practice, a common problem you find with people who do, you know, only study without uh, any guide. Very, very commonly you will see that they will be limiting the Rahmah of Allah. And they're actually making their lives more more difficult than they need to be. Okay, continue. The portion for all the eyes that would gaze upon the beauty of his essence is bedazzlement, and the fruit of the contemplation of the wonders of his creation to all intellects is necessary knowledge. Okay, try to explain this. Okay. So, the portion for all the eyes that would gaze upon the beauty of his essence is bedazzlement. Okay. I think that's fine if your, your guess is way off, so don't worry about that if you're <laughs> trying to engage. So the eyes that would gaze upon the beauty of his essence. So his essence, as in not him, because we can't yeah. see him, but like the manifestations of his rahmah, of uh -huh. the things that he's given us, we cannot help but be bedazzled by them. They're, uh -huh. they're beautiful to us. Uh -huh. And so, so it's consistent with what we're saying. From our mind, the destination of getting closer to Allah is, what was the word that they used? Um, bewilderment mm -hmm. and astonishment. But even using our physical senses, like your eyes especially, the the uh, the best you can get is bedazzled. Mm -hmm. Like when you looked upon the stars. Yeah, exactly. Bedazzled. I mean, even seriously try to comprehend how big the earth is. That, I think, we just take it for granted. Or how big even a human creation like, like a, a skyscraper is. I don't think we truly appreciate how big and complex a skyscraper is. What to think of a mountain, what to think of a continent, what to think of a planet, what to think of the solar system, etc., etc. And, and so uh, bedazzlement is the best that you will earn 
or you will gain. Okay. And the fruit of contemplation. So another way to get closer to Allah is reflection. Um, that is reflection on the wonder of his creation. This is a necessary knowledge. Okay. I mean, this is time that people have to spend and just reflect on the fact of, of the, you know, the grandness, the greatness, and simultaneous beauty of creation. I mean, I think it's one thing if Allah Ta'ala just made everything so huge as he has, but then he didn't just make it huge, much he made everything so beautiful. Okay, so on a side point, what I'd like you to look up is Surah 3, Ayah 190 to 195. Right now? Okay, no, not right now, oh. uh, later on. I'll be giving other assignments, inshallah. Okay, and let's do a little bit more. Go to the next paragraph. Let no one reflect upon the nature and the what of the vastness of his essence. Okay, what does that mean? Actually, let's, let's read more sentences. It'll make more sense. Okay. Let no heart neglect for one moment the wonders of his creation and question the nature and origin of his existence so that one necessarily recognizes that all are the signs of his power and the lights of his grandeur. Okay, so try to translate. Okay. So he's, he's saying, go beyond the, the physical. Okay. So the what? Of mm -hmm. the vastness of his essence. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a table. Yes. But that doesn't gain me anything. Mm -hmm. Look behind what's mm -hmm. the point of it, everything. Behind or beyond, yeah. Mm -hmm. And let no heart neglect for one moment the wonders of his creation. Mm -hmm. So don't take things for granted. Don't... Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then questioning the nature and origin of his existence. So that one necessarily recognizes that all signs of his power and the lights continue to the next page of his, of his grandeur. So <laughs> this is sort of like a poetic dua type statement. You know, it's, it's like basically saying, you know, let's not fall short. You know, let's, uh, inshallah, you know, ya Allah, do not let us fall short of what our journey is. And do not let us fall you know, into the trap of just looking at for example, just the externals or being satisfied with something if there's much more available. Okay, let's go to, to finish off the paragraph on the next page. All these are the inventions and marvels of his wisdom. All are the rays of the beauty of his presence. All are his. Indeed, the existence of all things is but a ray of the light of his existence. Mm-hmm. So there he's again making reference to Musa alayhi salam. So all these are the inventions and marvels of his wisdom. All are the rays of the beauty of his presence. So he's also speaking of the language of light. That all is a manifestation of light. And his light. And that's the best language that we have to even try to comprehend it. Kind of comprehend whatever it is we can about who is Allah or who is Allah to us. All are his, so he owns all. Indeed, the existence of all things is but a ray of light. So even the existence of everything, whether it's the whole universe or multiverses or whatever it is in creation, it's barely even a ray of whomever, whatever Allah Ta'ala is. Okay. And then the next paragraph. 
Praise be to Muhammad, the Chosen One, upon whom be peace and blessings of Allah, who, or of God, who is the Lord of the Prophets and the Guide and the Way for the Believers. Yeah, read the whole paragraph. He is the trustee of the secrets of divinity, chosen and selected by the Divine Presence, and praise be to his helpers and the people of his house, each one of whom is a model for the nation and is closer of the way of the religious law. Okay, so a number of big points here. So one now... The second part is to express uh, blessings, salutations to the Prophet, peace be upon him. What is chosen one in Arabic? Do you know? Mustafa. Mm -hmm. So Mustafa is one of the names of, of Allah Ta'ala. Upon whom be the peace and blessings of God, and then God or Allah, as far as I'm concerned in this class, either one's fine. He is the Lord or the Master of the Prophets and the Guide of the Way for the Believers. That, I think, is... Uh, simple for us to understand, but to put it in the, the whole cosmos or the whole cosmology, think of whatever is the greatest of all creations of the universe. So let's just say hypothetically, let's say there's many levels of the universe, so a universe itself is the biggest of all creation. But then we're saying the greatest of creation beyond that would be living things, and then beyond that would be humans, and then beyond that would be prophets in particular, and then beyond that would be the main prophets uh, uh, Muhammad peace be upon him, Musa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, Nuh alayhi salam, Dawood, these would be like the main ones. And then above all them is Muhammad himself, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. So the greatest of all creations are the humans, and the greatest of all humans are the prophets, peace be upon them. And then, what are some of his roles? In addition to that, he is the trustee of the secrets of divinity. And so I would note there, so he is sort of the pathway for us to develop intimacy with Allah Ta'ala. And he's been chosen by Allah Ta'ala with this role. This is an, a, a very, very important point uh, because the essence of our deen is not only La ilaha illallah, but it's La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Okay? And so sometimes people want to only focus on the La ilaha, but there is no La ilaha illallah without Muhammad Rasulullah. Because what does ilah mean? That goes back to Muhammad Rasulullah. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, so this is something he specifically has been chosen for. And he is thus the path. And praise be to his helpers, to the companions, as well as the people of his house and his family. Each one of whom is a model for all the rest of us. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, says, you know, the stars in the sky, my sahaba, my companions are like the stars in the sky. Follow any one of them and you will be guided. And work, that works a few ways. If you think of how do they, do they travel in the middle of the night, back then it was using the stars as their, as, their, as their guides. So think of any of the companions or any of the people of his home to be such a guide. Now what does that mean? How are they a guide? You follow, like you follow their sunnah. So their sunnah is the micro-sunnah within the sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Now naturally, someone would say, well, why not just follow the sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him? That's what the Sahaba are doing. So in Sunni Islam, um, Islam is the Qur'an and the Prophet, peace be upon him, his Sunnah. And his Sunnah includes the Sahaba. Why? Because we're also looking to see where did the Sahaba do that was different than him. And all the other Sahaba seem to be fine with it. That's also giving us a sense of some of the uh, either boundaries of the Sunnah or how far wide we can make the Sunnah go. And another way to answer that is everything we know about the Prophet comes from the Sahaba. Right? I mean, if that's who is narrating, it's not like an angel is talking to us. It's coming from the companions. Uh, 
And then the last part, uh, model for the nation, disclosure of the way of religious law. This is a really, really important point in terms of what, for lack of a better term, orthodox Sunni thought is, is that, which almost is, is a, uh, a double entendre or tautology, but uh, the point being that you start from law, you start from your, uh, you start from law, and then you get into the spirituality. A common notion uh, among many people in and outside of Islam is you just go straight to the spirituality. No, the first step of spirituality is establishment within yourself and beyond of the religious law of the Sharia. And if you have someone who's telling you to bypass it, either they have such great wisdom that they need to explain why, or they actually don't know what they're doing. Okay, and let's do the next paragraph, inshallah. Now know that mankind was not created frivolously or upon a whim. Instead, his role is grand and his peril is great. Okay, this is a really important statement in our era. I mean, so this book is 900 years old, but for our era, in the era of science, in what we call scientism, we're effectively saying that the creation of humanity is a fluke of, of evolution, right? Mm -hmm. That, I mean, we'll agree that the, the complexity of the human is astonishing, but we'll still say it's a fluke, an accident of nature. And this is one fundamental opposite between religion and science. Science is saying we're a fluke, and then by extension, compared to like a planet or a galaxy, we're also insignificant. Religion is saying the opposite. Number one, we're not created frivolously. Uh, our role is grand. And then number two, therefore, a human being is more valuable than the entire universe. Right? That we're taught that if you take a life, it's as though you've taken all the lives. We're saying that a human being is so valuable that nothing compares in value to a human being. You can't even put a value on it. And we're not even talking about how good or bad that person is. We're just talking about the fact of someone being a human being. That everyone, just by being human, has that level of innate value. Which then means that if we are so valuable and our role is so grand, that our peril is so great. Like, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so that means that we have much more to lose in this outlook. Though man is not eternal and does not live forever, though his body is earth and clay, the truth of his soul is exalted and divine. Uh -huh. So there's a part of you that, that is material, that is matter, and it is temporary. But the essence of you is coming from Allah Ta'ala, mm -hmm. uh, which means that the essence of you is, like we said, beyond measure, beyond value. And we also have a hint of what we're going to see later on in terms of how do I get closer to Allah, it's by getting closer to myself as well. That we're going to see very soon in the next few pages. That one of the keys to get closer to Allah is to get closer to yourself. One of the keys to getting farther from Allah is to get farther from yourself. Okay, continue. His essence, though it is mixed and permeated in the beginning with bestial, wild, and devilish characteristics, is cleansed of these impurities and becomes fit for the divine presence when he strives to repent. Okay, and so we spoke about the essence of Allah in the previous section. Here, 
the essence of a person <clears throat> is that you have all of these things going on inside of you. Bestial, wild, devilish. They're part of the mix. But once these can get in, cleaned out of you, what remains is something that is fit for the Divine Presence when you are making Toba. So, one of the essences or works of Islamic spirituality, and in, the, in this context, the alchemy or the chemistry of happiness, is internal purification. And so the word we use for this is tazkia. Okay, let's continue. From the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, all the dips and rises are man's work. Okay, so I think that's kind of straightforward, right? That uh, I am the one who is sort of responsible for my condition. And I'm the one who is going to put myself in the direction of going high, and I'm the one who's going to put myself in going to the direction low. Obviously, I'm at the, the surrender of Allah Ta'ala. So another way to put this is the more I surrender myself to Allah Ta'ala, the more I go high. The less I surrender myself, I am going low. And then what does it mean to go low? Next sentence. The lowest of the low is he who descends to the level of beasts, ferocious animals, and devils. Yeah, I think that's pretty straightforward. That's essentially what you are. That if I, if I am going away from Allah Ta'ala, I'm going more towards my animal self. So, I'm like a ferocious animal. And then, I'm worse than an animal, I'm effectively a devil. Good. He is the prisoner of his carnal appetite and anger. Then I reach the point of becoming imprisoned by myself. Continue. The highest of the high is he who attains the level of the angels and is liberated from his carnal appetite and anger. Okay, so the highest is the opposite, and so the opposite of the devils would be the angels in this context, which is what? People who reach a point where they are pure, and they have no ability except to serve Allah. Mm -hmm. um, and your appetites are not controlling you. They're still going to have them. That's part of being human. It's part of your biology, like breathing. But they are not imprisoning you. And so, so here we're literally getting the, the short formula for the whole process of getting closer to Allah Ta'ala. At one level, it's to take control of your appetites rather than your appetites controlling you. Mm -hmm. and, then, <clears throat> and then as a result of that, it's also removing the animal parts of your behavior. Which is what? Imagine a lion looking at a gazelle. You and I will watch this and think, wow, look at how beautiful the gazelle is and look at how majestic the lion is. No, the lion, all the lion sees in the gazelle is food. It's a piece of meat. And I'm going to have to, as a lion, I'm going to have to chase after that piece of meat. And a person is not necessarily going to look at another person and see this is a piece of meat, but that'll be effectively what they're doing when they're reducing themselves to an animal. Okay. Both of them, appetite and anger, become prisoners, and he their ruler. Okay, so that's straightforward. And then continue. I think, I yeah. think... Go for it. So, that, the fact that it's in parentheses here, what does that mean? So, appetite and anger will be something that is going to be repeated over and over again. And almost think of these as two types of appetite. Uh, uh, so, when he's talking about appetite, it'll be these needs of the body. Mm -hmm. Okay, Anger is like this need of the personality. 
Lady, do you have some thought there too? Um, yes. So, when he says anger becomes his prisoner, mm-hmm. how does that manifest? Okay, so think about this. Did the Prophet peace upon him have anger? Yes. Yeah. And so, did Omar have anger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We often speak about Omar's anger especially. But the interesting thing is, it's hard, if not impossible, to find a case of Omar getting angry on matters outside of the deen. What I mean by that is that in matters of Dean, he's super firm. But if you go and insult him, you know, you'll have trouble finding even a narration of him getting upset if someone's insulting him. Except if it is contradicting something in terms of Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the point being that a common person, if you walk up to a common person and insult them, you're going to upset them, you know, you'll confuse them, what have you. And we're saying that you are putting your appetites in their proper place you're also putting anger in its proper place. And so by, by removing the control of these things over you and you controlling them, what you're innately doing is you're taking all the parts of your personality and putting them where they belong. So that you're angry over the things that you should be angry for. Um, and then you're even jealous of things you should be jealous for. So for example, what is the healthy jealousy or the okay jealousy? To compete in doing good deeds. Yeah, so compete in doing good deeds or thinking, you know, if I had this money, I would use it for service to Allah. Or if I had this knowledge, I would use it for service to Allah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to how come that person gets all the attention or how come that person gets this and how come I never get anything? That would be the unhealthy jealousy. And so all these parts of our personality, you're calibrating to put them in the proper place and proper usage. That's health. Um, When he attains such sovereignty, he becomes worthy of service to the divine presence. And such worthiness is the attribute of the angels and the perfection of the state of man. Mm -hmm. So yeah, So, so this is fascinating. For me to appreciate the dominance and sovereignty in majesty of Allah Ta'ala, I have to attain sovereignty over myself. Mm-hmm. Those two go hand in hand. The less I have sovereignty over myself, the less I will have appreciation for the sovereignty of Allah Ta'ala. And instead what's going to happen is I'm going to be inflating myself and a'udhu billah for that, and then a'udhu billah I'm going to be diminishing Allah Ta'ala mm-hmm. in terms of my consciousness, in terms of the value I give, etc., etc. So, what are we saying ultimately is the t- challenge of life? It's like you have an arrow, and your arrow is your interest, your goal, your motivation. Either it's focused on Allah Ta'ala, or it's focused on yourself. It's focused on one or the other. Even when we're talking about love of dunya, love of dunya is, is a type of love of self. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, this, this concept here, uh-huh. of that we must attain sovereignty to become worthy of the service of the Divine Presence. Okay. Because... And like in Hegel's, um, when he talks about the self, he says that we're always in this battle of a relationship between being the subject or being the object. Mm -hmm. And in every relationship we're having this battle, we want to be the subject. Mm -hmm. But when we think about it in terms of Allah, I always thought that in order for someone to gain like mastery over you, they become the subject Uh and you are the object. Mm -hmm. So you have to acknowledge your own, like... I guess worthlessness in a way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of contradictory mm-hmm. that we must obtain 
sovereignty to become worthy mm-hmm. of being the subject of the law. So I would say hold on to that as a thesis and keep testing it as we go through the text. Okay. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, continue. When he enjoys the pleasure of the and the perfection of the, oh wait, when he enjoys the pleasure of the beauty of the divine presence, he will not be able to withhold himself for its, from its contemplation for one moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's where it gets fun. That if you reach that point and you begin to taste of the beauty of Allah. You don't want anything else. Now, that may sound like someone who is separating themselves from society and all they want to do is live in a cave, but that's not what we're talking about here. Because the taste of the beauty of Allah might be coming through interaction with people around you. Because the Prophet, peace be upon him, there's a famous narrative, uh, meaning a line of poetry of later on, where of essentially basically speaking of the fact that the Prophet, peace be upon him, he goes to the cave and then receives a visit from Jibreel and then he goes back to the people. Or he goes on the night journey, even meets Allah Ta'ala, whatever that means, and then comes back to the people. And so, so some poets are saying, well, I would have never come back from the night journey. And the point is that in our outlook, no, you actually, uh, you are in, you are surrounded by creation, even if you're living in a cave even if you're living in a forest or even if you're surrounded by people, you're still surrounded by creation. That you can never escape. And so if we're saying humans are the, are the most valuable of all creation versus a tree, and a tree is amazingly valuable, trees are spoken about, about multiple ways in the Quran, then you're better off, more likely going to get closer to Allah by being in the company of people. Does the math make sense? Okay, continue. Gazing upon that beauty becomes his heaven. Mm-hmm. That heaven, which is the result of the appetite of the eyes, the genitals, and the stomach, will be abridged for him. Mm-hmm. So, again, <coughs> that becomes, uh, this is sort of like the, the narration that this world is prison for the believers and it's paradise for the coffers. Mm-hmm. And one way we understand it if from the perspective of law is it's prison for the believers because we're not allowed to do anything. Coffers are free to do whatever they want. Another way is that it's prison because it's still preventing me from getting even closer to Allah. I'm still bound by the limits of dunya. Whereas for a kafir, this is their paradise. They don't care about anything beyond this. Yeah, and then that will also, and so that is going to be the result of, of controlling everything, your eyes, your stomach, etc., and the appetite of the eyes, the stomach, and etc. will also then shift towards the paradise, where that becomes your true satisfaction. All right, and finishing it off, the last part. Since the essence of man is, at the outset of creation, deficient and base, it is not possible for him to attain the stage of perfection from this deficiency without strenuous effort. And uh, so yeah, it's a really nice idea, but it's going to take a whole lot of effort to, to actually develop it, inshallah. Okay, any thoughts or questions? Okay, that was the fun part. Okay, then the work is going to start beginning. Then it's going to start getting very, very tedious, inshallah. And so so next time, um, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to continue through, go through this section called the excursus. And what I would also like you to do, uh, if you have time, although... 
Um, obviously, your first focus is going to be on your finals. Yeah. I want you to start going through the introduction of this book, authored by someone else, and take notes and teach that material back. Okay. But that you can hold off on starting until after finals, inshallah. Mm -hmm. And then if you want, we can still meet next week or we can, we can postpone until uh, next semester. I'm sure you want to meet next week, but first focus on your... On your well, uh, my only like, big finals are Monday. Okay. Is math and chem, and then on Thursday I have my philosophy final, which is like, just like. Okay, what, what time is that final? Four fifteen. Four fifteen. Okay. Well, uh, so if you want, we can keep it on the schedule. Okay. And then, but if you need to focus on philosophy, that's fine. We can we can reschedule it all. Alright, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi lake wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.